0: My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And my name is Merrick
1: Egber. This is the official podcast of the Elstra Autism Foundation for Autism.
0: We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers.
1: But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with
0: autism. When I'm not a part of the podcast, I'm a member of our growing research team and a tennis coach.
1: And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like Lou, I am also autistic. This is our 12th episode of the podcast celebrating Autism Awareness Month with a friend. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole, Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. So here are some news and updates about the foundation. We had a blast of a time putting together our first all virtual Building a Neurodiverse Workforce Conference and were massively successful. A lot of people showed up to hear our keynote speakers, take in our self-advocates, and to communicate with all of us through the excellent interactivity of the Whova app, along with the excellent support of the Zoom platform. There's not enough time in the broadcast to thank everyone. All attendees are listening into this. You still have access to the Huva platform for a year, so we will try to keep you updated so that you will get the full potential of Whova. Our big event for April will be our 5K Roots and Ruts run, which two years ago, was first introduced as a component of our On Autism Mega Expo. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, we've decided to host the 5K by itself. Our runners will race in waves at the North Jupiter Flatwoods Natural Area to raise awareness and support for our foundation on Saturday, April 24th, 2021 for Autism Awareness Month. Make sure to go, make sure to go to the link in our show notes to get more details and to register for this wonderful event. On Thursday, March 18th, we celebrated our new graduates from our We Are Foodies, hashtag We Are Foodies, food service with a festive banquet. We hope to start up our next cruise soon. While there is still time, check our Facebook page, which has the photos from the fantastic occasion we celebrated on the grounds of our L Center of Excellence campus. And contact our Director of Adult Services, Trudy Syak, or call at the number we'll provide in the show notes as to how you can be a part of our new crew. Remember, it's hashtag W-E-R-F-O-O-D-I-E-S. This past week, we had another weekly session of our famous moving and grooving spring break camp, led by our brave, courageous rec supervisor, Kelly Coots. At the camp, kids were able to do a variety of activities on our L Center of Excellence campus, including participating in the arts, sports, fitness, and even water play. All of the kids were supervised by highly skilled staff members so that they could get the most out of our camp program. Because of our success, we hope to also bring back our on-campus summer camp later in the year. Please contact Kelly Coots for more details. Our new session of rec services will begin on Monday, March 29th and will include our sports programs and reach and teach through the arts programs. Keep a close watch on our website for updates.
0: Shout out to Kelly Coots and the rest of the staff. Great work on that.
1: As always, it is time to go over Today in the World of Autism, starting with my co-host Dr. Nate Chinock and his fantastic resource research-oriented topics.
0: I cannot wait for these topics today. I think these are the best ones yet that we brought to the show. So story number one is on barriers to autism diagnosis in females. In honor of March being Women's History Month, I wanted to cover a fascinating piece that was written for SpectrumNews.org by Georgia Lockwood Estrin who is currently a postdoctoral researcher at the University of London. In this article, Lockwood Estrin first discussed the highs and lows for families receiving an autism diagnosis and how for some, it can be a difficult time and for others, it can actually bring a sense of relief and a greater sense of belonging to the community. Regardless of the response, it is often a lengthy journey that includes many barriers along the way these barriers may be disproportionately increased for females with autism, given a number of reasons. The research community is recognizing more and more that autistic women and girls are poorly served by the current clinical criteria and typical routes to a diagnosis. Lockwood Estrin and colleagues at the University of London recently did a review study to determine the factors that contribute to this occurrence they found that a major part of the problem was the perception that autism was solely a male condition. Estimates of autism prevalence have found that boys are nearly four times as likely as girls to receive a diagnosis. However, analyses which have controlled for sources of bias have found that a 1.8 to 1 ratio is actually a more accurate depiction The meta-analysis they conducted highlighted that girls and women are diagnosed with autism only when certain traits such as behavioral or language difficulties are exaggerated compared with boys and young men. This issue is especially problematic because girls and women more often than boys and men compensate for or mask certain aspects of their autism characteristics and sometimes camouflaging is a term that's used to refer to this type of masking. For example, girls with autism may intentionally or unconsciously hide certain social difficulties at school by mimicking the behaviors or emotional expressions of their peers. In addition to these camouflaging behaviors, another major barrier is the notion held by many clinicians and health professionals that autism is solely a male condition. In many cases, what this ends up leading to is misdiagnoses and in other instances, mixed and confusing messages to parents about the best routes of care for their child. In order for women and girls with autism to be more accurately diagnosed and to receive the same levels of care and acceptance that boys and men do, it's going to take a really strong effort from activists and healthcare providers alike. So kudos, for this story from Lockwood Estrin. I mean, it was a really fascinating story and definitely sheds light to an issue that I think is still under discussed in the community. So I wanna turn this over to you now, Merrick. What are your thoughts on the story? And I would also like to revisit the first point in the article about the diagnosis process being lengthy and difficult for many families. Could you share a little bit from your own perspective on this?
1: Certainly I can. So I've been uh, well informed about how difficult it is for a girl or a woman to get a proper diagnosis of autism. And it does make me wonder what else the psychiatrist or the one who is supposed to diagnose the patient what else what what alternative that they've been using and if they have no alternative that they've used at all then the mental health profession or at least the the profession responsible for diagnosing people on a psychiatric or a clinical level have not done as well as they really should have. Um, One of our, of course, one of our biggest personalities even today in the field of autism is a woman, Dr. Temple Grandin. And one of the rising stars of the world of autism is uh, the attorney, Haley Moss. I think that if we just consider um, autism to be a male thing or a male condition, then that is doing the disservice to many of the very, very influential women that I know of who have been diagnosed with autism and have used their voice and their abilities to showcase exactly how effective and how powerful their uh, self-advocacy is for themselves and for other people. I tend to think that, well, <clears throat> yes, women are brought up to be more sociable. They are brought up to be more empathetic. They are brought up to uh, be more just accepting, And you can even see it in my family where, um, my mom is a lot more sociable. She's a lot more, uh, you know, willing to stick her neck out. She says what she thinks. (laughs) And my father is a lot more quiet. He's a lot more silent. You would probably, if, if you took the two of them to see someone, to get a diagnosis, my mom would never get diagnosed with anything related to autism, but my father would be more likely to get that kind of diagnosis. Now, unfortunately, because this is over the air and in public, I bet you that I'm gonna get a very nasty phone call from my parents (laughs) asking why did I diagnose them over the air? And I will just say, you know, Any clinicians, any psychiatrists who are listening to this, please don't listen to this and take this 100% seriously. I don't know. I don't know at all. I know that my Asperger's is probably genetic. And I know that someone in the family tree probably had a version of it. And so that's how I got it. But I just don't know if it's like, if it's in my father but there are traits that he has that remind me a little bit of myself and it reminds me a little bit of you know traits you would find in someone with autism or asperger's and it is nothing to be ashamed about it is nothing to be afraid about it's it's the fact that my father is an extremely intelligent individual and he is very empathetic and he is very, very, very... Um, he's just the kind of person who I can relate to a lot. But I, I also, um, as, as I will explain later, um, when it comes to like uh, the character of Matilda in that show that I'm gonna talk about, um, everything's gonna be okay. I'll probably say this later, but I could relate to her as a woman with autism a lot more than I could relate to someone like Sam uh, from the Netflix series Atypical or the protagonist of The Good Doctor, because I am no, I I don't consider myself a genius, but what I do consider myself is I can roll with diplomatic jujitsu and I do think about you know, the logical basis, the logical analysis of our actions, our reactions. And if something doesn't seem fair or right, then I think about it a lot. Um, I, I know that for some people saying high or low functioning seems like a term of discrimination but I I will say though that it's it's that whole thing when you talk about masking and camouflaging. Maybe this is why I've said before that I feel like I'm twenty five percent woman. Uh, I'm not non-binary, okay. I'm a man. I'm a man, but <laughs> I'm like I'm probably like twenty five percent woman, okay. And well, part of that is that I do have that blending in effect where I can blend into different worlds, the neurotypical world and um, the world of autism. And well, (laughs) uh, well, I mean, if there are moments and there are many, many moments that people may not see and there are moments from my past that people may not know that, that really shed a light as to why I've identified with the Asperger syndrome diagnosis I was giving years ago, because people generally think that what they see is what they get. But I've had moments where I felt very nervous in crowds. I've had moments where my anxiety was to an utmost level And where interacting with people can feel very, very arduous and can make me feel very, very uncomfortable because I'll end up babbling like a loon. So basically, I guess this is my uh, coming out party where I, I tell everyone, hey, look, you know, I've said this at work a bunch of times and I haven't come up with a good reason why other than you know, the stereotype of, uh, women being enigmatic and cryptic, which I am, I am enigmatic and cryptic, but you know, I, I, I just, I guess if anyone were to place me somewhere, maybe I do identify more with women with autism than men with autism. Okay. I, 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 I tend to admire, uh, women uh with autism uh i mean i think what i'm really trying to say here is that is that i i i think um you know the the term you go girl is extremely overused and girl power that's also extremely overused you just you know there there's just a lot of greatness found within uh, females who happen to be on the spectrum. And agree more. it's just basically, um, I, I think that we really do need to highlight more about women being autistic. I think we need to basically say, you know what, we understand you. We understand you. We uh, we empathize with you. We know what it's like, no matter what gender we are, what uh, sex we are. It's this feeling that we, we've got to understand more. We've got to understand the subtleties of what this is and what this means um i will definitely get more into details about it in my analysis of the tv yep. show everything's going to be okay because that does revolve around a girl with autism and i think that you know it's like anything else the earlier the better the more accurate the better the more you get to understand the diagnosis, the better otherwise you're leaving people underserved and you're leaving people without the confidence that they are able to understand what it is that they're all about. And, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, you can do diplomatic jujitsu, but you sometimes have to take that mask off. You can't wear a mask forever. And it's it's probably gonna be so much better when you're accepted and when you're, you know, related to and you don't have to put on that mask. You know, I consider this, we make any strides on, may, the more strides we make on COVID-19 and eventually in the future, When mask wearing isn't as essential as it is now, the same thing should happen for women with autism. You know, I would just put it in the campaign, please remove the mask, be who you are, be what you are, let your freak flag fly, and if anyone doesn't understand it, then they don't understand it. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone, you know? People generally will, people should respect you and people should respect who and what you are. And I think that that is extremely important,
0: you know? Well, I really commend you for the message. I think that a lot of people are going to hear that and feel a weight lifted off of their shoulders. Um, It's such a great message to remove the mask. And I think that goes back to some of the names you mentioned who are such great advocates for females with autism like Temple Grandin, and now more recently Haley Moss as well. Um, but just the message that the world needs all kinds of minds. And it is a, it's a beautiful thing to be different in a lot of cases and, and knowing that you have something unique to bring to the table as well. And I just wanna piggyback off of your point about your parents, because I was hearing that and, and thinking that there's the exact same dynamic in my family too. Uh, You know, by the way, I love you both mom and dad, but uh, (laughs) it's just, (laughs) as you said, you know, fathers uh, often would, would qualify for a diagnosis much more under today's standards because of those classic characteristics that I think you know, uh, lack of sociability, kind of repetitive behaviors, maybe a, a lack of openness. Um, I think that in many ways, maybe men more often are more likely to display some of those traits. So we need, we need to continue to raise awareness um, on this topic and just do a better job of using multiple criteria and understanding more and more what autism does look like in females yeah, so that and, we can be better.
1: And if you happen to be, uh, oh shoot, this is going to cause controversy probably. If you happen to be in your late 20s or if you happen to be in your 20s and you're single and you're looking for a good man with autism, and you yourself may be autistic yourself and you're trying to figure out what it is that it's like to be who and what you are then I am available and I am ready and (laughs) you know in a future episode we could possibly touch on dating and all that stuff but just know that uh you can easily find my email address on the Else for Autism website. And if you if you want to meet me, if you want to talk to me, if you want to have a cup of coffee, or you want to, you know, talk for a little bit, get to know me, and maybe we'll find out that we have a spark together, then by all means, please do. This is not just me just saying this stuff just to flatter people, I, I do have a deep appreciation for, for women, and I do have a really, really deep appreciation for women with autism, and it's just something that, that I think I, I really, really need in my life right now. Because I'm lonely. (laughs) I
0: told you guys, this was, this was going to be our best episode yet, and I, I don't think we're disappointing so far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. This is, this is what you all, uh, tune in for, right? This is what, (laughs) this is what you all tune in for.
0: That's it. All right. I'm going to move on to my second story now. Thank you again, Merrick. Responses were great there. I'm gonna move on to talking about a new study that just came out hot off the press from the University of Texas Southwestern. And what this study entailed was actually the use of machine learning technology to identify a group of blood biomarkers that could potentially lead to an earlier diagnosis of autism for children. The researchers, we're able to identify nine serum proteins that strongly predict ASD through analysis of hundreds of different proteins. In prior years, there's been many blood-based biomarker candidates that have been investigated, including neurotransmitters, cytokines, and markers of mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, and impaired methylation. However, given the prevalence of ASD, the use of machine learning to incorporate demographic and clinical data into the analysis could more powerfully examine disease status and symptom severity. So we want to be able to not just identify biomarkers that may or may not predict autism, but the use of machine learning, which I'll break down in a second, is very exciting because it can actually predict status, as in whether somebody will ultimately have a diagnosis of autism through behavioral metrics, or whether they will not ultimately uh, obtain a diagnosis status. Also, predicting uh, symptom severity and degree of functioning. So what is machine learning? Well, it's a statistical analysis where essentially you feed a number of different variables into a statistical application like Python or R, and once all of these variables are fed into the analysis, the software will select some sort of combination of these variables that best predict a specific outcome. And it's often with a very high degree of accuracy. So for this study, Serum samples were collected from 76 boys with ASD and 78 from typically developing boys. All ages um, between 18 months and and eight years were examined. So all nine of the proteins identified in the panel were significantly different in participants with ASD compared to the control group. The researchers also found that each of the nine proteins were strongly correlated with symptom severity. In the podcast, we frequently report on studies that seek to identify means for early diagnosis of autism. The average age in the U.S. for diagnosis still remains at approximately four years. And if autism can be more efficiently recognized during toddlerhood, it will go a long way in allowing evidence-based early interventions to be introduced earlier and ultimately impact the lives of these individuals. So it's an exciting line of research that's being done here, ultimately to be able to to administer a blood test and be able to reliably diagnose autism by examining the presence or lack of presence of certain proteins. So I wanna turn this over to you, Merrick. What changes do you see in earlier and more efficient diagnoses of individuals with autism?
1: okay so i actually do have a joke for you um i would <laughs> like to basically put it as what kind of machine learns on a
0: kayak Hmm. a paddle <laughs> a row bot <laughs> <laughs>
1: there that's some nerdy (laughs) humor for those of us got him this is is the classic kind of comedy
0: that we come up with um where's the laugh button when we need it
1: yeah (laughs) ha (laughs) ha ha well okay so what i think is when in regards to earlier and more efficient diagnoses of individual autism, I think that um, what you would see in changes when it comes to uh, you know early intervention is that you you get a greater aspect of you know facilitating an identity for that person. Instead of that person maybe not being able to uh, speak, not being able to, you know, even use um, a computer or AAC or augmentative alternative communication, um, that person's communication, that person's voice, would probably be lost to time, if the anyone just doesn't, you know, give a diagnosis, intervene. It's it's a revelation to so many people. And so many people see it as therapeutic for themselves. They understand themselves better. And they don't see it as a crutch. They, they see it as something. It's like I said this before um, in one of those uh you know, public speaking situations. I said that my biggest problem when I learned about being diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome is that I thought a lot more about what I can't do than what I can do. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that that is really, really important to basically focus and say, you know what? These are the things that you may have to work on but overall you're you're still the same person that you always were and you are a different person but different means that different means good different means it's it's good to be different you're not the same person but that shouldn't matter that really shouldn't matter at all what should matter is that is getting the proper treatment, getting the proper things that the individual may seek improvement, may seek wanting to do more, wanting to know more, wanting to learn more. You get uh, earlier self-advocates, you get people who are able to be at the forefront of the future. If if you right. just basically uh, just throw a lot of people out into the world without a diagnosis, um, you know, then people won't know what to do. People won't know how to characterize you. Um, years ago, it seems like when it comes to individuals with special needs. Um, they were labeled very differently than they are now. Now we've got a lot more knowledge of how different people are. You know, in the blog article I wrote about the history of autism, autism used to be a subset of a diagnosis of schizophrenia. So can you imagine being told that you have hallucinations in your mind just because you have autism that that's and and that you know subliminally subliminally to some people that may sound like well you're kind of mhm and that is just you know that kind of feels a little bit heartbreaking for me because you really should come to an informed decision about what this person is. And you should also have that person realize that this is what they have. And if and if it's anything else, you know, if you're gonna basically take that person and say that they have something, this is like what we talked about a few minutes ago, you know? Well, what other diagnosis is that person given what that they suffer from what bipolar disorder or maybe they suffer from schizophrenia you know and 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 the problem with that is that it it's that it trivializes it 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 basically says you know what we're just gonna label you with something and then we're gonna get you out of there Mm -hmm. we're just gonna get you out of there and that's just That's, that's not, that's not great. That's not great at all. Parents don't know what to do. Okay. Parents don't know what to do. The child doesn't know what to do until they actually get the idea. And, you know, it changes people. I've always, uh, whenever I hear stories about people realizing who they really are, I've never heard of a bad uh, story about it. I've never heard of someone going, well, that's not me. And I've never heard of someone going, oh, that was terrible. I've just heard of people going, yes, finally, after so many years, I finally know who, I finally know what I am. And they can decide what to do with it, whatever they want, but it, it just sheds light on things. I mean, you, you just gotta, the earlier, yeah. the better. I, I always say the earlier you know about yourself, the better you are. If, if you wait too late, then it's it's not, gonna, it's not gonna be as impactful, but if you get it as early as you possibly can, then that is gonna be, Uh, revelatory, and we've just got to diagnose people as early as we possibly can, and we've got to serve clientele where, um, you know, the whole aspect, the whole knowledge of what autism is, is very, very mild, okay? Um, Absolutely. Should we extend the goals program to parts of the world where they see autism as a curse? Uh, should we extend, you know, should, should, should there be like missionaries of autism going around and spreading the good word, you know, that, that autism isn't something to be ashamed of and it's just another way of speaking and communicating? I don't know. But I, I think that, that it, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do more and serve more.
0: Very meaningful message. I really appreciate that. Um, so we're going to shift gears now and move on to Merrick and his interesting, uh, or rather his human interest story.
1: Yeah. So that's they will me. be
0: interesting though.
1: So that is me, Mr. Human Interest. okay so tips on celebrating autism awareness month because while it is still march uh this episode is probably going to be uploaded very very close to uh autism awareness month enough to where we can give you a little bit of a preview as to what to probably do so it is about that time to celebrate autism awareness month and what better way to do so than to take some tips from two people who know I put together with the help of our COO, Dr. Marlene Sotelo, 10 tips to celebrate Autism Awareness Month, which I hope you all enjoy. So here they are. Make sure to wear blue. Blue is the color most associated with autism. Take some time out of your schedule to hang out with someone who you know who has autism. Do not leave people alone. Donate to the Else for Autism Foundation. Promote businesses that employ individuals with autism. Learn about some of the bigger self-advocates within the neurodiversity movement. People like Dr. Temple Grandin, Dr. Carrie Magro, and Dr. Stephen Shore. A lot of doctors, but you know, as I would joke, as I've joked before, you get three doctors, you get three different opinions on things. But there is one opinion from all three of them, and that's basically that you shouldn't feel ashamed to have autism. Okay, volunteer for the ELS for Autism Foundation. Attend our Roots and Ruts 5K in April held for Autism Awareness Month. And yes, a link to the event, as I've mentioned before, uh, will be in our, yeah, okay. Plan events that are sensitive around the needs of individuals with autism. Spread the word of the month on social media refer other people to our official blog and also to tune into all of our episodes for the Four Autism podcast. Okay. Nate, what are some tips you would like to give to people to celebrate Autism Awareness Month?
0: Well, Merrick, I'm especially fond of that last tip, number 10, which talks about tuning into all of our episodes for the For Autism podcast. I think that's Probably number one most important. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that is important. But you let me down easily. Let me <laughs> down gently, okay? I, I would just like to challenge people to continue to educate not only yourself, but also just share links with other people. Um, continue to, as a community and as a society, let's grow, let's learn more. Let's tune into, you know, TED Talks that are easily available on YouTube from experts in the field, like Temple Grandin, like Dr. Geraldine Dawson, at Duke University, like Dr. Ami Klin, just experts in the field. Like Dr. On... Nate Chinock when he does one? <laughs> well, there's no chance I, I should be put anywhere near those people on a list, but I appreciate the shout out. Yeah. Um, so we tune in to talks from those people and also tune into you know people who who have autism and are willing to share their story and just talk about what it looks like what it's like to live as a person with autism and I think that is especially meaningful for understand for gaining a better understanding for you know, our friends in the community who have autism. Uh, Merrick does a terrific job as an advocate. Um, A couple more people who I've come across who have done a really amazing job. Quan Weyer uh, has a great talk, a TED Talk on YouTube. Ethan Lissy as well. So just that would be my number one suggestion. Uh, I would like
1: to meet your friend Ted at some point. I'm sure that he's a very interesting person.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he likes red
2: circles.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds more like a
1: dog. No, a bull.
0: (laughs) But that is a great list that you and Dr. Sotelo put together. Definitely comprehensive.
1: All right. Now for my next story. So last year, the first season of a new show created by Australian comedian Josh Thomas from uh, Please Like Me, called Everything's Gonna Be Okay, launched on Freeform, a channel geared towards teenagers and young adults. The show stars a 20-something neurotic, played by Mr. Thomas, who has to be the legal guardian of his two half-sisters due to his father's passing. One of the half-sisters named Matilda, played by actress with autism, Kayla Cromer, is also a character with autism, which really intrigued me. Especially in this time where people argue about proper representation in media. Not only has the show gotten great reviews, but a second season is supposed to air in April, so what better time to celebrate Autism Awareness Month than a show that gets autistic representation right? Thus, here is my review of the 10 episodes of what makes the first season of Everything's Gonna Be Okay, which can be watched in its entirety for free with ads for a Hulu subscription, which I have. And if you like this show, the entirety of Please Like Me is also available for free with ads on Hulu. On to the show. For this review, I'll be listing five positive and five negatives of the show. First positive. They have realistic depictions of girls with autism. The common thing I hear on why females get diagnosed less than males is that females are meant to be social but they still are liable to have many symptoms as their male counterparts. Matilda is high functioning and is able to blend in real well. Her control of every situation and her forthrightness give her a great confidence when approaching her day-to-day life. Yet she still has many traits that other individuals with autism have. Sensory issues, crowd issues, listening issues, music therapy, using logic instead of social nuance, and finding it difficult to process her own emotions. Weird thing is, I may be supposed to relate to Sam from the Netflix series, Atypical More, and as I said before, but I actually can relate to Matilda more. While we can probably blend in with neurotypicals, our past and aspects of our present are where we stand as individuals of autism. And then there's Drea, played by self-advocate Lillian Carrier of Artism, and also of NCIS New Orleans, a self-advocacy organization, is one of Matilda's classmates and eventual girlfriend. And while she has greater issues than Matilda does, she brings a lot of integrity to her character. Both her and her male counterpart, Jeremy, played by another self-advocate, Carson Warner of Kirby Buckets and Instant Mom fame, bring a lot to the show. Drea distinctly reminds me of some of the women I know of autism. She is outgoing, but also feels the need to hold back. She also brings her service dog to the show, which is an important part of representation for those with autism. Like Matilda, she explains why she is the way she is in a way that could enhance awareness of symptoms to the target audience. Two, the empowerment message is quite a good one. While Nicholas, um, <clears throat> Josh Thomas's character, offers a more hands-off approach to his parenting, which gets him in trouble in later episodes, in his way to be likable, he prefers to treat Matilda as on the cusp of adulthood and not as a child. The little sister Genevieve serves more in the parental world to Matilda, but it is shown that while she has good attentions, Matilda has her own aspirations and dreams and she would like to try. It is constantly emphasized as to how far she has gone and how far she is willing to go. She is pretty much the heart and soul of the show because you want to know what she will do next, who she'll meet and her situations constantly evolve around her, giving her ample time to grow and to learn. She also exhibits logic in situations where other people will resort to emotionalism and that is a breath of fresh air for me. The message is that individuals with autism should not be treated with overprotection and are able to process things in ways that are very relatable. It also has a more universal message of being your own authentic genuine self represented, not just by Matilda, but also by Nicholas and his interest in his sexuality. This may seem trivial, three, this may seem trivial, but they do give the father, Darren, played by Christopher May, Westworld TV series, a lot of screen time before the funeral. In the first episode, when I read the description, I was expecting all exposition to come from the character of Nicholas at the beginning, and finding out that his father passed away when he comes back home. They give you enough time to understand who he is, what he is, and the decision making to make Nicholas the legal guardian. When they kill off the character, they do it tastefully, maybe too tastefully, so that you can feel the emotional strain of the situation and how different it feels without him in the series anymore. It also possibly inadvertently gives the series a kind of whimsy, especially when Nicholas's boyfriend, Alex, played by Adam Faison, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Into the Dark, gets to meet the father who tells him about his cancer and how uncomfortable Alex feels. There are moments that remind me of another entertaining dramedy, drama mixed with comedy called Raising Hope from the creator of My Name is Earl, where everything has a light place to fall. Hence, everything's going to be okay. You can always chill with the Moss family for 20 minutes. Four, the walk near the end of the season. When Nicholas gets a reality check on the realities of the girl he is in charge of, he ends up changing into a completely different person. Instead of utilizing his hands-off approach, he decides to confront the half-sisters and takes them for a long walk to discuss what life is like and how to nudge them in a productive and positive direction. At the end, he reveals that he got plane tickets to go to New York City to prepare Matilda for Juilliard, an exclusive music academy that she got into. In this way, you get to see the core trio at the heart of the series realize that they need to show the world their potential and it's quite a powerful moment. You also get to see them leave California almost as a vacation for the eyes and ears. I really appreciated it because it doesn't separate Matilda and her sister, rather it reinforces how special they both are. And the last positive thing, how vulnerable Nicholas is. He doesn't sleep in the same bed as his half-sisters, possibly because he feels awkward, like he would be taking the place of his father. Instead of just getting it on with Alex during their first overnight, he shares with him his world of bugs and insects and his sisters sleeping, as if he feels that sentimentality is extremely valuable and precious which is lovely. While one of his traits is constantly talking about himself, he shows moments of reflection and sensibility about others. He would be a good parent and he understands it more as the series progresses. Now here are my negative ones. You don't get to learn nearly enough about Nicholas and Genevieve. Genevieve is Matilda's younger sister played by Maeve Press in her first TV role. And she serves as Matilda's protective guardian and as the one more attached to the father. She also hangs around with two other girls who have a questionable impact on her. Aside from that, it is implied that she really likes video games, but not much else. If they could bring out her character more in the second season, I would appreciate that. Maybe a few episodes completely centered around her. Nicholas is in his 20s and is the legal guardian of Matilda and Genevieve, despite having no prior experience in the role. He drops his life in Australia to live with them, and also lucky for him, found Alex who sort of serves as a second parent to the two half-sisters. It is said that he loves insects and bugs. Every chapter is named after one, but being an entomologist is more of a quirk of his, while his love story of Phallus is a lot more heavily emphasized. I would like to know more about his interest in insects and bugs and what impact it has had on his professional life. Now, second negative. I would like to know all the students in Matilda's class. In fact, I'd like to know more about the class she is in. It sort of reminds me of the classroom I was in for Study Hall, which was the Hannah Moore School within a school for students with autism, except this is much more open. What do the other kids think about the students? Are they seen as the outsiders, the losers? You constantly get that idea from these individuals, but it just sounds like melodrama. Who is Sam, the teacher? Who are the other kids? Because I, I do remember seeing like five or six other kids. What lessons are they teaching the kids? <laughs> Eighth negative one. It is a common fact that many individuals with autism can't drive. Matilda is of age. She's 17. She could get her driver's license, but they never explain it in the show. Instead, Nicholas is expected to be the family's driver. I understand Genevieve. She is only 15, but they could explain it the way it was explained to me since I can't drive myself. Withdrawal being an example. When Matilda want to drive? Many, many individuals with autism too, do. The stand-up comedy part in the 10th episode is kind of unavoidable because it seems so out of character for Genevieve, but the payout is worth it. For those who don't know, Maeve Press was the youngest woman to perform at the Women in Comedy Festival and has staked a career in stand-up comedy. As a way to showcase this talent of hers to also promote important character development, she goes to a comedy club in New York City where she spends time bragging on Matilda. She asks Matilda and Nicholas to leave before she begins. But tells the crowd at the end of how far her sister has come. I think that the problem with the scene is that it feels out of place and it feels like someone venting out their anger rather than playfully reminiscing about her sister. So when people are laughing you are not sure if they are laughing the bomb with the comedian or they are mocking individuals with autism. they would have built Genevieve's character more. maybe someone would had a poor history of fights with Matilda then it would have been more convincing. I wouldn't be too sensitive. After all, I think that few things should be off limits to a comedian, but I'm not sure if that was the best way to do it. And the last negative, I would have had Matilda be 16 and Genevieve be 14. The problem with having Matilda being 17 inside her high school years would be like a blip. Prom came and went, she is expecting to get into colleges and she probably will go to a college in California, not Juilliard. But the show hardly settles you into her time at high school And I think that viewers would probably be better offered if Matilda had a second year in high school to learn more about her, especially because of her differences. Now, there is also a possibility that she may have to go back to the classroom in the high school to get more involved before she can be ready to approach the college life, but it won't be the same. Overall, the negatives are more attached to future seasons. I think I may have mentioned that also in my review of Atypical for the blog, which I will link in the show notes. But the positives show an excellent first impression of a series that should be celebrated as as an expression of the human experience. The second season focuses a lot more on character development, and this show could evolve in quite a good direction. So, Nate, what are your thoughts on the topic of the show?
0: First of all, that was a fantastic review. I mean, I'll level with the audience for a second. I don't have a Hulu account, so. I thought my, you did. In, my, in my preparation for this show, um, instead of instead of watching the first season, which I plan on doing, I, I have an account that I can use, luckily, but um, I, I read a lot about the characters and I read some synopses about the episodes and the ground Merrick just covered is a really excellent overview of the show and its characters. Um, so all that I would like to add at this point is that I think it's very exciting to come across a show that covers topics that are, you know, they are a little bit difficult. They can be uncomfortable sometimes. And this show really, it is a good depiction of what everyday life is is uh, what it is like in our current generation, the time that we're living now. And I think there's a really nice overarching message, which I think we've also touched on in this show, which is just that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to be different from other people. And there's, there's beauty in that. So I, I commend uh, the topics of this show and I look forward to, to tuning into it.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I uh, Microsoft Sammed that whole thing, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, well, thank you for the compliment on that. Um, oh gosh, you know, maybe I should become a TV critic. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, okay. So before we go and have our dinners, Uh, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners. And because of that, we will be seeing you again in April, Autism Awareness Month
2: with some more
1: coverage on us and the autistic community in general. So let's do it out loud. Five, four, three, two, one. Four. Four
2: Into the air, so high, oh, like a butterfly. A moth is a butterfly without any colors, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well I'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head but my feet on the ground Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky Like a butterfly I wish that I could fly So high Oh like a butterfly i fly into the air So high Oh like a butterfly Like a bird I was meant to soar I will fly through the sunlight And even when it pours It can't stop me When I get a hold of the wind In the future your eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor catapult We'll grow up and take to the sky Like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly So high Oh like a butterfly I'll fly into the air